Welcome to Malks TV Talk, the podcast where we take a loving, longing look at TV and tell you this week, we have a special Malks TV Talk pod for you as we take a look back at the first quarter of the Australian TV year for 2015 and ask why the hell is there still a two weeks rating break at Easter? I'm your host, Steve Malk, and joining me this week is Kevin Perry, head honcho at Nelby.com, the other place you go to when you want Australian TV news and opinion. Welcome, Kevin. Hello, Steve. Great to be with you. Look, this is not the first time we've potted. Let's get that out in the open. Last year, we did a a very interesting four-way when we were discussing the outcome of Season 2 of House of Cards, uh, which was a bunch of fun, I have to say. We got all spoilery on on that season of House of Cards, and people seem to love it. So hopefully we can do a bit more of that in the future. Perchance, that's right, there's opportunity for that to uh, to step up. Now, Kevin, you've been uh, in and around, just to fill in those that have never heard of you before, which I'd have to say won't be many, but you've been in and around TV stuff for a while now, running Nelby for the past, what, two years? Yeah, yeah, coming up on our second anniversary. And prior to that, in a whole other life, you were even standing behind cameras and stuff, weren't you? I did a little bit of camera work at the ABC and Channel 9 in their news departments, and yeah, that was sort of in the early 90s, and... Well, you know how the television industry goes. Sometimes there's a lot of jobs and sometimes there isn't. So, yeah. <laughs> but I have to say, of, of all of the others, and there's, there's a growing number of us now in this whole media game in, in Australia uh, that talk about television and that sort of stuff, uh, I've enjoyed an excellent relationship with you and uh, you've had a couple of decent scoops in just those short two years, haven't you? It's been a lot of fun. It's been a great adventure and I have just love the feedback I get from my listeners and they're the ones who really just supply me these great tips every so often of what's going on. And look, it doesn't hurt that you're in Victoria where, reasonably speaking, it's the home of a fair chunk of Australian television, isn't it? It certainly is. There's a lot of production comes out of Melbourne and, yeah, I'm sort of in that unique position where I was kind of halfway between Melbourne and Sydney and make a few trips each way between the two cities and no it's good it's worth it well it it absolutely pays off it sounds like it's as geographically inappropriate as Brisbane is (laughs) it can be a time so it really upset me this week I got an email today inviting me to showcase this big Game of Thrones thing I'm sure you probably got the same thing I did yes Uh, Sydney Opera House the evening of the 13th of April now it premieres globally uh, 11 a.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time that day. So we, you know, everyone can tune in and see it anyway, but they're having a big red carpet thing and all that sort of stuff. I just went, oh, man, it's in Sydney and I'm in Brisbane. And, oh, I really want to go. But as uh, someone pointed out to me on Twitter, hey, it's Mad Men night as well. So that might seal the deal for Mulk's lack of attendance to that one. <laughs> yes, no, it's a decision I'm weighing up myself at the moment. Do I? Do I? Broke open the piggy bank and make the big trip. There's, I guess there's, there's always another party, though, in this industry. and Clearly, we're not at the Neighbours 30th one tonight. Yes, yes, that's another one I was invited to but couldn't make it to. Well, I would have loved to have catched up with Harold. Mm, oh, who wouldn't? And Bouncer. Ben Smith. Bouncer oh, would be there, wouldn't he? Sitting there stuffed in the corner, I hope. <laughs> no, no it's, there's a lot going on and there's a lot to be celebrated within the Australian TV industry, some of which we will analyse in this week's podcast. Uh, it sounds like a reasonable enough opportunity, Kevin. Shall we get into it? Absolutely. Malt's TV Talk. 2015 has started with a bit of a bang. Now, before we get to the reason why it's gone bang, I thought it would be an excellent opportunity for us to talk about, uh, really, what we perceive as the wins and the losses uh, that have come out of just this first quarter, barely sort of seven weeks 
uh, of ratings TV and the bit that's led into that because no longer do we just sort of seem to start at the same time anymore. Everyone's jumping the gun. What were the big wins for you uh, so far this year, Kevin? Um, I don't think you could call it a big win, but but I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here was a was a small win for ten. I think you know it, it averaged for the most part in that that seven hundred to eight hundred thousand range. It as the season went on, it, it started to get above the block and. It was it was generating audience. It was generating buzz for the network, and that and that's something Channel Ten hasn't had for a long time. Yeah, a small win for nine may be a big win for ten. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, if if you want to talk big wins, there, there's only really been one big win this year, and that's Channel Seven with MKR every night, two million viewers. It's insane what that program does. It's crazy, isn't it? And what are we season five now? It's just gotten bigger year on year for the network. It, I guess this is a two-part question. Why do you think this season is bigger than last year's? And is this as big as it will get? Have they pushed the, the relationship too far with viewers with this season? Oh, I, I keep thinking that they've pushed relations too, too far with viewers, but people just seem to keep coming back. And I, I'm not sure <laughs> why. Cause it, it's a program that personally leaves me cold. I don't have a lot of love for it. Yeah, and, and that's fair, right? Not not everything is everybody's cup of tea, right? No, but yeah, it it, it seems to go on for week after week, and, and it's, the seasons get longer, and viewers just can't seem to get enough of it. Yeah, well, I think the, the this week's uh, well podcast time last week's episodes rounded out at about thirty episodes so far. Mm. And we've really only just got into Kitchen HQ. We've only really just started eliminating contestants. So there's still a lot of uh, My Kitchen Rules to come, so much so that uh, this week podcast time is the first week of a two-week ratings break, friggin' hell, um, that we seem to want to hold on to. So there's no MKR this week, but next week it comes back to bleed back into, you know, the rest of however long the season's going to go. You're right. It just seems to keep going on and on and on. And it, I don't think it's helped them necessarily that the old format was, well, we've got this instant restaurant round and then, oh, we've got a second one. Well, that's fine. That We're kind of used to that. But then to throw in a third instant restaurant round with Colin's secret teams, it's just, mate, there's now too many contestants to know what the hell is going on. I've completely lost track of the contestants. I don't know who they all are. I've got no idea what their names are. They all just blend together for me on shows like this, but... Uh, you, you talk about the Easter break. This is, I think, the third time that Seven's taken this bit of a gamble of take, giving the show a holiday over Easter, but mm. it, it seems to work for them. And it, networks, being the way they are, so tight on budgets, they only want to put their good shows up when, when ratings are in. Mm. Very truth. Now, you point out Seven and Ten had, you know, for both of them, pretty good wins in this first first part of the year. What do we do what, when we start to talk about losses? This is really where the ABC and uh, Nine sort of slide in a bit here, don't they? They certainly do. I think particularly with Nine and The Block, I, that's a show that's really seems to have gone off the boil this season. If we're looking back this time last year, sure, MKR mm. was doing its mega ratings, but The Block was also getting over a million viewers every night this time last year, whereas this year... It's it's around that seven hundred thousand rate and doesn't really show a lot of sign of getting any better. Yeah, do you reckon? My thoughts initially were that it was uh, the celebrity audience 
that that carved away at the Blocks audience, and that was where Ten basically built up an audience that they weren't getting this time last year. But now that I'm a Celebrity's finished, the audience haven't gone back to the Block necessarily, have they? It's still sort of that languishing around the 700, 800,000 uh, five-cap city figures. Yeah, I think there's been a real casting issue with it this year. I I watch it. I find them a very unlikable bunch on this on this season. I don't know how you feel about them, but they too they, much Darren and D. Yeah, there's definitely too much Darren and D, and the rest of them. Well, they're either bland or they they leave me cold a bit. I'm, I'm not really striking a chord with them this year. Yeah, it is a little bit of just it's all nice and white and vanilla, and no one's upsetting anybody necessarily. And too much is being made of. D versus the judges, either independently or collectively. And, and it's like, well, really, if she's that much of a pain, don't put her on the show. Yeah, yeah. And there was that thing in the, the op- opening weeks of it this year where it was just, you know, lots of elimination rounds and they, they really mm. made the made – the, this. it was such a simple show, such a simple formula. They really overcomplicated it this year and I, I think it's really, really gone against them. And we've got another season of the block still to come this year. We've got another season of the block, and we've got another re- a renovation rumble, which is sort of a mix of the block and house rules. And, and two seasons of house rules. Yep, two seasons and of house rules on seven. Yeah, it's a lot of renovating, and I think the audience is already saying they're over it. <laughs> yeah, and food-wise to come, we've got um, Restaurant Revolution coming out of seven. And we've got MasterChef, another series of that. And now Nine are weighing in with, I think it's called The Hot Plate. They've got another reality show coming later this year, um, co-hosted or judged by Camilla Parker-Bowles' son. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's certainly not. If, if you like your renovating and you like your cooking, uh, Australian TV is the place to be. So the block has stumbled for Nine. What do you reckon about Gallipoli? Now, that was certainly one that Nine were weighing very heavily on and they basically threw up the white flag and had to surrender, didn't they? They really did. That was, yeah, uh, where do you start with Gallipoli? There were so many different little things that went wrong with that show. It, the show itself was slow, mm-hmm. uh, particularly that first episode. There was a lot of just blokes marching up the hill and not a lot of excitement happening. And then you look at the time slot that that Monday night, and why they went with a double episode, yeah. and, and expected viewers to stick with them past eleven o'clock at night. I mean, they they lost a third of their audience just just doing that. Yeah, well, this is the curse of that seven thirty ninety minute reality that we seem to be getting, which we'll touch on uh, a little bit later. Um, that's certainly playing against a lot of things. I agree that Gallipoli was a little tough. I mean, when we live in a post-saving Private Ryan world, which really, you'd have to say, reset the standard of what a war epic looks like, uh, that first 15 minutes of Saving Private Ryan, sure, it's a movie, it's not television, is brutal, but totally depicts what the, the landing was like there. And then we look to Gallipoli and we kind of, I have to say, I was expecting something similar and it kind of wasn't. No, no, and I also think there's something about just just the subject matter of it and the timing of putting it in summer. I don't think viewers like that sort of content in summer. I, I think viewers are a bit more accepting of heavy subject matter in winter on a Sunday night where it's cold and they can sort of bunker down and commit to something like that in an 8.30 time slot. But I think summertime where daylight savings and 
people are just, I don't think it was the right show at the right time. I think they really missed their mark. Yeah, no, you're right. The scheduling sort of left them high and dry, I think, in an attempt to want to go early to make sure that they got the attention because there is a lot of Gallipoli epics and war epics that are now coming to pass because Foxtel's got one, Seven's got one, uh, Ten have got some stuff up their sleeve, either documentary or drama. The ABC have got stuff. SBS have got stuff. Everyone's got something. It's the the 100th commemoration of the Anzac landing that to go early with it was either going to be a big, you know, it was a big risk, win or fail. And unfortunately for them, it really backfired, particularly because when we look at it, it was really meant to end now leading into Easter. Mm. And that's still three to four weeks before Anzac Day. Yeah, yeah. It was was a very strange decision. I almost wonder if if it was partly done just for the tie-in with Stan. Look, possibly they may have dragged it forward. I did like that they dropped the entire series onto Stan after that for that premiere double episode, possibly in response to it because they didn't get the figures that they were maybe hoping for. Uh, but it, for me, made an awesome little draw card to jump in and check out Stan and see how it worked and to watch Gallipoli, uh, independent of the preview access that we get, to just be able to give it a push and a pull. Hmm. And I wonder if they're going to then do the same thing this year with things like House Husbands, uh, and love child and stuff when they come to pass. I expect they will. I think they. I think they recognise that Stan is the future of their business, and I think they. I think they put themselves in a corner where they have to back Stan a hundred percent. Yeah, well, very much so. Nine and Fairfax as joint venture owners of Stan really. Uh, I mean, there was talk about when they were before it even launched that they've invested heavily in setting up this Streamco company that's delivering Stan far more than Presto and Seven have done. So, for, sorry, Foxtel and Seven have done in Presto. Um, so, they're, yeah, they'd be very keen to make sure they've got eyes on the, on the, on the board. We, we'll talk a bit more about Stan shortly. What did you think? Did you see any of um, the ABC's drama hiding on Thursday nights? Yeah, I, I previewed the first couple of episodes of it. I, um, yeah, that that was a bit of a funny one too, wasn't it? I certainly casting issues were a bit of a distraction the whole way through it, with the different age differences and expecting to believe that you know someone mm-hmm. is someone's father when they're just about the same age. And um, yeah, I yeah, it, it was all a bit of a, a mishmash that one. It's sort of crazy storylines and all just a little bit too far fetched. And yeah, I think the ABC kind of missed their mark with that. Yeah, I agree. It was, I mean, I, I like Marcus Graham. I like uh, Kate Jenkinson. Uh, I just felt that this was the script that burned it for me. Uh, it, it felt, it took an episode and a half for me to really buy into why I would care about these people. And by that time, they were already in um, police you know, custody. They'd gone into hiding. Stephen Curry was probably the standout for mine, and he looked like he was almost phoning it in at the best of times. Yes. Yes, no, he certainly did. So it's a toughie. I mean, of course, all of this comes off the back of a cricket season that has extended significantly, given that it's the World Cup. Mm. Now, we're only getting dribbles of that onto free-to-air television. Uh, in fact, uh, the, the night that we're recording this is the uh, the semi-final between India and Australia. So that is on television. Uh, they're in with a chance, aren't they? Uh, we're looking all right. I might just be keeping a little bit of an eye on it as we're just having this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, but it's it's that scenario that stretched out. The tennis, of course, was massive for Seven at the start of the year and allowed them to promo to death uh, everything from, uh, of course, My Kitchen Rules. Also to Australia, the story of us. Now, what did you make of that? 
I don't get that program at all. Why would I care what Andrew O'Keefe or Rebecca Gibney think of our history? I find that baffling, that show. Oh, well, when they introduced the noted historian Greg Norman, it was like, <laughs> what? Like, fair enough to sort of, you know, and this is how they must have felt or to, to have that kind of, you know, theoretical conversation. But the way it was cut together with a lot of these seven network stars and famous people um, intercut with actual historians, you know, recounting what actually happened. And then there's the, the, uh, the dramatised version of what went on along with all of that other stuff. It was kind of felt, well, no, no, you guys don't have any credibility in talking to me about this. The, the, so, the only miss, thing missing from that show was having Bert Newton out the front counting down 20 to 1. <laughs> 20 to 1 things that Australians did a long time ago. Um, no, I agree. It was just kind of, it, it just felt weird. And it didn't help that they then started it. I think the first two nights it was on, it started at 8 o'clock on a Sunday night um, because of the reality lead-ins and all of those sorts of things, which just, it was like, well, this seems to be aimed at school kids. And 8 o'clock on Sunday night is too late to start that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Now, there's been lots of strange little program decisions that have happened like that this year, all just because of these reality shows that are just pushing all other programming backwards. Well, that's, that, that's an excellent segue, almost like I'd half-fed you the running list, Kevin. This is an interesting scenario that we're seeing now because uh, for the fir- most of this first quarter of the year, the three commercial networks four to five nights a week have had 60 to 90 minutes of reality television all running at once uh, across the, you know, spread across the week. Seven with My Kitchen Rules, nine with The Block, 10 with I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. It's been the biggest load at that 7.30 time slot that I think we've ever seen. And it pushed all the scripted drama back for most of it until at least 8.45, if not nine o'clock starts. And that's really been the biggest difference we've seen to other years. The reality's been there and, you know, My Kitchen Rules might be drawing viewers or whatever, but everything after it is just falling in a heap, isn't it? It certainly is. And, yeah, I mean, it's hard to work out what, what, what networks think of drama anymore, whether they really care about or whether they've, they've accepted the fact that drama on Australian television probably won't be a big rating draw card the way it once was. Given the way they're treating it by doing this, you'd have to think that they're just kind of tossing their hands in the air and going, oh, well, it's not going to draw us the money that 90 minutes of of My Kitchen Rules can draw us. It almost looks to me like if the Seven Network could draw two hours of My Kitchen Rules out every night, they would. Oh, most definitely. They definitely would. I mean... And you can't blame them. Budgets are seriously tight. None of the networks have the money to spend that they used to have. And so they're all making this decision that they're just going to bunker down on three or four reality franchises and just stretch it out through the week and extend their news bulletins as much as they can and fill the schedules with sport. And that's that's their entire game plan from all three commercial networks. Which on one hand makes sense, right? That's what's keeping people involved. We saw those patterns come out of the last two years of ratings. People are watching news. People are watching live sport. They're watching reality. And, and it, you know, to the same end, I guess, they're watching that event TV stuff, um, you know, the, the miniseries moments and, and that kind of thing. Uh, but when it comes to anything else, I mean, they're still forking out cash 
to buy these big new series or these, you know, big blockbuster series out of the States, but they're effectively getting pissed up against the wall. I mean, have a look at the two the two big ones this year. Seven have got How to Get Away with Murder mm. and Ten have got Empire. Uh, and to give to add some perspective to the conversation for those that are that are interested, How to Get Away with Murder, this is the second big series for Shonda Rhimes who made Scandal, which is still killing it in the US. How to Get Away with Murder, when it premiered, drew something like 14 million people in the States, which was the biggest premiere they've seen in a few years over there. Um and is still doing great guns. It finished, in fact, a couple of weeks ago and had its season finale and drew massive numbers. Empire is consistently week to week pulling 15 or 16 million and building, and it's on Fox in the US. Uh, they're loving it to bits. It's dropping in at 9, 10 o'clock at night on Sunday nights for 10 and barely pulling 300,000 here. Yeah, it's, it's almost like the networks have completely lost confidence in their own ability to sell these shows. They seem to, like, I don't know, the marketing around Empire, it, it just hasn't been what it should be. There hasn't been enough to, to draw viewers into this show. They've, they've, they should know that they've got something that perfectly suits the Channel 10 audience, mm. but instead they, they're just not backing it. Absolutely, they should have committed early and dropped it really hard off the back of uh, Shark Tank and now that it's settled into a 7.30 time slot, 8.30 on the money, mm. it should be lay, laying into Empire. Put NCIS New Orleans somewhere else, make it a th- Tuesday night triple, whatever. Um, make Tuesday night NCIS night and you'd probably keep a whole bunch of people around the country happy. Um, but they really are wasting a massive opportunity given the, I don't know if it's a cultural difference, whether it's just that, none of the networks are promoing the drama anywhere near like they could have or have been in the past. Was it Tim Warner or somebody from Channel 7 a few years ago when they were talking about Cougar Town uh, said that, oh, that piece of shit, will promo it and people will love it and we'll just get them to watch it. Um, yeah, yeah. That confidence around any of their purchased drama products seems to have just vanished. It most certainly has. And I think even look back to, Blacklist. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that that was a show that was rating you know, one and a half million or so for Channel 7, but I don't know what's going on with them. They've, drama just seems to have gone right off the boil. And Australian it, drama, I mean, mm. do you know what the, the highest rating Australian drama is at the moment? Dr. Blake oh, Mysteries. Be, yeah, ABC Friday Nights. Yeah. Right? And that's a, a, it's a consistent show in a consistent time slot. And viewers know what they're going to get. They know when they're going to find it. And they love it. And that in part, of, I think, is the problem that the networks have kind of, they've, they've jilted the audience a little bit. One, we're used to that on the half hour turnaround for shows, aren't we? We certainly 7.30 yeah. is when this is, 8.30 is the next thing, 9.30 is the next thing. And having something like Dr. Blake and, and soon to be uh, the next series of Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries slide into that 8.30 Friday night time slot. Providing initially that that drama time slot struggled up against sport, but it's now really holding its own, even with sport in play, because people are going, well, we can watch the sport later or we're not interested in sport. We want an opportunity. Oh, look, older audiences are happy to watch this stuff on Friday nights. So off they go and here it all is. Um, there's that, the fact that we're, we're doing that. The, the second part of it really is that the networks are – almost pushing audiences away because we've been trained that 8.30 is when the next show starts. And we would complain but give them if it stretched out to 
835 or even 842, depending on what was on before it. But it's really only the ABC, SBS and 10 that most nights are sticking to that half hour timeout. Uh, nine, seven have given it up. 10, uh, sorry, nine are all over the place. And so for seven's problem, they've got revenge on Monday nights, how to get away with murder on Tuesday nights. Um, they've, oh, they've had something going in on Wednesday nights. I couldn't even remember what it is. But it means that those shows then starting at nine o'clock mean they finish at 10 and there's that real mental barrier of, hang on, it used to finish at 9.30, which allowed me to get up, have a drink, cup of coffee, whatever, um, you know, get my bedtime routine done so that I'm in bed by 10 o'clock yes. and everything's kosher. But having it finish at 10 or 10.20 or something just pushes it a bit too late for most people and they're losing a bunch of the audience either to catch up, um, they're recording it to watch later, or they're just finding it other ways. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, there certainly is a lot of recording going on. I um, publish seven-day consolidated ratings on my site everywhere, and you will see all of the drama programs, they'll gain at least a couple mm. of hundred thousand viewers over that seven-day period. So there is there is a catch-up. But, yeah, I, I think the, the main problem is a lot of viewers have decided they simply don't want to watch a drama live on commercial television. They don't want to put up with the ads. They don't want to take the risk of getting invested in a series only to have the networks yeah, move the time true. slot or cancel it or do something else to ups- to throw viewers out and that they'll risk missing, missing an episode. So I think the networks with their bad program decisions over a number of years, they've, they've treated their audiences like mugs and viewers have had enough and they're not putting up with it anymore. They've got alternatives. They don't need to watch drama on commercial television anymore. Which is such an interesting thing because we're still making a bunch of Australian drama, winners and losers, A Place to Call Home has bounced over to Foxtel now, Love Child, House Husbands, a freaking Blunderland is still being made for some godforsaken reason. Um, you know, all, all of this stuff is still pumping out out there. Yeah, but a, a lot of those titles you've mentioned, they do skew to an older audience. Um, they're sure. the ones that probably haven't a, adopted the new technologies yet, but certainly the, the younger viewers, that they gave up a long time ago on commercial television. Do you think they gave up on it or just went, I'll find this elsewhere, uh, you know, because this is, you know, all of the things that you mentioned, ads or it, – it, I agree entirely. It's the, the jumping of shows around in the schedule or cancelling it prematurely or, or something like that. Like, And this is a great example, just what we were talking about. How to Get Away with Murder is a 13, 14, 15 episode first season. And uh, season nine, Channel 7 are calling the season finale. Mm. <laughs> I don't know when we're going to see the other five or six episodes that actually round out what happens, uh, you know, and you get some significant stuff that plays through. Uh, those final episodes of the first season to tell you, you know, it's just kind of why are they doing that now? Well, yeah, uh, you, you'd have to ask them that, Steve. I, the last job I've ever been able to understand is that of a TV programmer. It, it always mystifies me. Well, it, it's ludicrous, right? Because we've had all of the networks have attempted fast tracking content uh, at various times over the past couple of years, and Tim Warner very famously. Uh, came out, I think it was either a product launch or an AGM last year, uh, when he was asked directly about fast-tracking content and his response was, our audience don't want it. It doesn't work. 
And I felt like saying, hang on, you did it once, well after the horse has bolted. It didn't work because you didn't really back it. And now you're saying it doesn't work. You're really only getting viewers to some of these scripted dramas because they're hanging off the back of your reality television content. You know, dropping from 1.7, 1.8, 2 million viewers down to six or 700,000 isn't a good look. Mm-hmm. I do. Look, I, I have a little bit of sympathy with the, with the fast-tracking argument. I, I remember an example a couple of years ago on Channel 7 where they, I think it was, oh, I'm just trying to think of the show. It was either like a Desperate Housewives or one of those. It was one of those shows. And Channel 7 made a big deal about the fact that they were they had this season and they were going to fast track it. And so they did the premiere episode and they came on and fast tracked it just hours after the United States and they got a good audience. And the next week there was a baseball game in the United States and so an episode oh, didn't yes. air in the United States. And, of course, that threw out Channel 7's schedule. And how did they explain that to their Australian viewers? They picked the wrong horse, really, didn't they? Yeah. But it's ludicrous now. The outcome is that we're getting things like, for fans of Downton Abbey, and I know that there's a few out there, um, we we don't get to see the season start until after the DVD is out in the UK. You can buy it legally on Amazon before it starts airing here, and it was a flagship program for Seven. I did an interview with one of the stars of Downton Abbey no, a couple of weeks ago, and I had to explain to him that, that the season hadn't aired here yet and he was dumbfounded by this fact. Mm, it's ludicrous, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, look, I, I think anyone who's a, a dedicated fan of Downton Abbey has already seen it. So. Oh, I haven't. I have. but Look, witchcraft and magic aside, yeah. uh, th- there's certainly ways for people to do those things, no question. Um, but that... You know, that plays into the problem for for Seven. And you hit the nail on the head a little bit earlier, I think, when we were talking about older audiences that haven't necessarily caught up on how some of this other stuff works, legally or otherwise, uh, and and remain connected to that linear scheduling that, uh, you know, the network tells you what you watch and when you watch it. Um, But that that game is all about to change and, and we'll hit that. Uh, on the head just a moment. It, it does, however, leave the networks kind of you know, pouting and stomping their foot and saying, oh, but, 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 yet they're really the makers of their own demise. Yeah. Well, uh, as I said before, I think that they have pretty well given up on drama and they're, they're moving in other directions. And probably the most interesting one of them in this part is Channel 7 and then move into sport. They are acquiring so many sports rights in the last 12 months. We had the news this week that mm. they've acquired the Paralympics. I mean, that. That's something that a few years ago you would never have imagined Channel 7 acquiring something like that. They've clearly got this new strategy where they've decided they want to be Australia's ESPN. They they want piracy-proof content, news, Mm -hmm. sport, and reality. That's a a very good point, isn't it? That news that uh, this week they've, they've signed to show the 2016 Rio de Janeiro Paralympic Games is big in in that respect that you spoke of. How do you reckon it's going to actually play out, though? Because as a sporting nation, we will watch two cockroaches race along the floor. There's no question about that. However, when we've had things like, uh, you know, Network A hosting Olympics Commonwealth Games and then Network B showing uh, the Paralympic versions, it's an easy, there's barely 10% of the audience watching it. Look, the ABC 
look, they've been dedicated to the Paralympic Games for a, for a long time now, and they've done a great job, and they should be congratulated for what they've done. But the ABC just don't quite know how to promote sport. They don't know how to quite put the sizzle on it. They they take a very analytical approach to their sports broadcasting. I think Channel 7, they're, they're smart operators. They'll know how to package this up. They'll know how to bring a bit of, a bit of excitement, a bit of showbiz to it, and they will bring in an audience. They will bring in a good audience. They're, they're planning 14 hours a day of broadcasting. That's that's an extraordinary amount of of, of um, Paralympics on our televisions, but no, I think they will actually do well with it. Is it? Do you think they'll do that because of the seven wave, the fact that you know pretty much you can put anything on the seven at the moment and it'll get a better audience than nine or ten just because it's Channel 7? Uh, there's a little bit of that, but yeah, like I say, I just think Channel Seven know how to do sport well. They know how to, they've got so much experience with the Olympics. They know how to package things. They know they know how to to sell the story to to um, to to sell the athletes. I think it is that they will. You know, at the moment, you and I would probably struggle to name two or three of our Paralympians. I bet by 2016, we will know a whole heap of Paralympians because seven are a sort of network who just know how to sell this sort of thing. Yeah, Sunrise fans, prepare yourselves. You're about to get a raft of athletes appearing on your screen every morning for the next oh, 18 months, uh, 12 months up until the event and all of those sorts of things. No, you're right. They'll, they'll certainly nail that. My my fear is that the Olympics will go big, as they always will, and then the Paralympics will just go, eh, it'll kind of, not that it's less important, but just that the audience will will whimper out um, after two solid weeks, you know, what is it, 16 days of com- competition for the Olympics, to then roll into the Paralympics, pardon the pun, can be, you know, pretty it's a, it becomes a marathon, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But remember, we're, we're also we're in a different world now. I mean, it used to be that 2 million viewers was the standard, but nowadays 1 million viewers is a win. And um, I don't know what Channel 7 has paid to acquire these rights. Uh, I'm guessing it wasn't a huge amount. So mm-hmm. if they can get a million viewers every night for the, for the period of the games, I think they'll be happy. True, and, and look, of all of the networks, they're the ones that are likely to do it. Mm. Uh, nine couldn't pull a million to a, to a Paralympics. And, of course, we have to remember that given they're going to be in Rio, geographically that's kind of and sort of is and isn't working for them and against them. It's almost like when the Commonwealth Games or any, any events held in Europe, it's that kind of time zone. It doesn't matter. It's the same hemisphere. When we spin around the globe, people, it really does become a lot of the day events will happen early, early morning our time and then their night events will be our midday afternoonish stuff so we're either going to get it'll be live and people will miss it so prime time evening will be replays of stuff that happened or mm, you know it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how they follow that through mm. it's not as good as it being in japan or china say yeah well we started this podcast talking about the big wins of tv this year one one win that we should talk about briefly is the big bash cricket for 10 that has really built into something that is just huge for that network and cricket on australian television in the last few years has just become massive we're we're seeing audiences of around eight hundred thousand or so for big bash on channel nine they were having one-day games over some of the mm. that didn't really have a lot of meaning to them that were getting audiences of around 2 million viewers. 
this is for a 50 over game that a lot of people say shouldn't is is dead but mm. it, it's cricket has been the real winner in broadcasting in the last few years and cricket australia should just be so proud of what they've achieved oh, i agree and you're right with the, the big bash figures massive it's a great second season of it on 10 uh the fourth season of the big bash league overall the biggest beef that I had with 10, and this comes completely as being a Queenslander and all of the daylight saving bollocks that comes with it, is that when daylight saving started, uh, sorry, no, when the ratings period ended, uh, 10 decided to not show uh, the games live into Queensland. Yeah. And in fact, they didn't show them into South Australia live or into uh, West Australia they did, but they flipped it over to one, so you could actually flip over and watch it live, and they did a later replay on 10 to help cover their schedule. But for South Australia and uh, Queensland viewers, it was delayed. We got it at a half an hour to an hour later than when it was on, and even Brisbane Heat games were delayed. Uh, and, in fact, there was such a stink in South Australia that 10 recanted and showed – uh, the local team, I can't remember what the Big Bash League South Australia team is called, but their games they showed live into South Australia but were still delayed into Queensland. It was an absolute fucking mess. It really was. And then it got to the probably the worst part where they had, uh, I think it was a semi-final or it was one of the early finals that Brisbane was involved in mm. and the game was on delay but they still had a technical area error and the final over of cricket was failed to broadcast in a fair bit of Queensland. So that just shows how well they're going. So much bollocks and so good uh, that one of the Heat players, I can't remember which one it was, actually made light of it when they crossed to him. Uh, the, the commentary team crossed to him out in the field and he passed a quip saying, you know, that uh, they were even playing at the Gabba and he was saying that the people in Queensland watching this on television aren't going to see it for an hour. Mm. It was just Absolute bollocks. While we're on the beating the dead horse that is Tendo, they, they, they went in hard this year off the back of the Big Bash League and through, reasonably speaking, three big new programs at the screen. Now, one we've already talked about a little bit or at least referenced in I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, uh, and we'll, we'll mull, mull on that as well as Shark Tank and Gogglebox. These, this is part of their new, hey, we're 10, remember us, we're young and funky and we've got some good shows, how about you try us strategy. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, we, we mentioned I'm a Celebrity, get me out of here. It was a show that I did not expect to like at all and I loved. I watched every night of it. I became yep. a little bit obsessed by it. And more interestingly, despite the fact that most of the contestants were pretty well of an age where my kids really shouldn't have related to them. They shouldn't have known who they <laughs> were. My yep. kids love that show. They still are talking about that show. And I, I yep. find that quite surprising. It was something just about the challenges and the, the, the gross eating and, and just, <laughs> just the, the hosts, the, um, Dr. Chris and Julia Morris, they were fantastic as hosts. I mean, someone, please give them their own Tonight Show. Yeah, they didn't stray very far from the UK format, did they? ITV stayed pretty close to that. They maybe mixed up a little bit of the challenging approach and that kind of thing. Uh, but it was, look, there were a lot of good outcomes for I'm a Celebrity from 10. The ratings were consistent. They didn't have to be super and be 1.8 million My Kitchen Rules numbers. They just needed to keep an audience, and they did that really well for 10. 
Uh, it was a big financial effort, five nights a week, live out of South Africa. At least the intercuts were live, uh, which is such a, a great look at you know, it. It's a, this live show every night when actually it's effectively Australia's Funniest Home Videos with celebrities that Chris Brown and Julian Morris are introing. Here's the next package. Here's the next package. Oh, and then we'll do a little live visit right at the end. Uh, everything was basically pre-recorded except for their, their intercuts. Um, but it played well. You know, Chris and Julia had uh, their good talent. They worked really well together. They had good writers working with them. They played well off. I thought the set was stunning. Mm. You know, that, that the fact they were overlooking camp from above the treetops uh, in Africa just made it look incredible. Uh, I thought that their mix of celebrities was pretty good, even though the rumour was that uh, 90% of Australia had been asked to be on the show and uh, who we got was who we got. Um, I was, I felt absolutely, I was so invested in it, Kevin. I felt absolutely ripped off when uh, I saw Freddie Flintoff win. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I guess, you know, he, he's not an Australian, but, and he was only in the show for the last, what was it, three or four weeks that it was on air. But still, he, he was tremendous talent while he was there. I can understand why the viewers fell in love with him. I personally, I would have preferred to have seen Barry Hall win just because I felt that. Yeah, he, he gave so much to that show and he, he revealed so much of his personal character on that show. And I, I've always been a Barry Hall fan anyway, but no, I thought he was brilliant. And But the, the, the show itself, it, you're hearing of a budget of around $17 million to get the thing to air. It rated all sort of around that 700 to 800,000 figure for most of the time. It, I dare say, Channel 10 lost a fair bit of money on it, but... I think they have to go for another season at the same time. I certainly hope they sharpen it up a bit. I hope they give the celebrities a bit more to do in the next season. I'd, I'd mm. like to see them not just sitting around camp all the time. And There was a fair bit of sleeping going on through the middle of the day, but no, we'd like to see them up and doing a bit more. But no, it was a great show and they've definitely got something there that they can build on. Firstly, Kevin, I don't want to live in a country that doesn't uh, vote for Chrissy Swan to win. I'm a celebrity. I thought she was delightful but I do say that with some fairly rose-coloured glasses on. Um, I, I, I thought that a lot of the celebrities, look, they, they had a mix that was pretty good given they had a fairly shallow pool to draw from. Um, you know, lots of people allegedly offered cash and politely declined. Um, I thought that the Chrissy and, and Joel show could have gone on for a lot longer. That was enjoyable as all get out. Uh, I agree Julia and Chris nailed it. They did such a good job. And you're right about that whole cost. It was expensive to set up that camp and the set and all of those sorts of things and to fly endless news limited um, entertainment reporters to Africa to report live on bollocks that they could have written an article overnight on because we all did. Um, just absolute rubbish. But it was, a, it was a setup cost. So you're right. The fact that we saw consistent figures that they did um, – I couldn't say better than what they would expect because I don't know what they expected, but I think that the executives will have been pleased with the outcome such that we could all but guarantee we'll see season two of I'm a Celebrity next year. I agree they need to tighten up a little bit of what they do. Uh, I think we'll see a much tighter calibre of celebrities as well, both from the ZZ grade as well as getting up the alphabet a bit. I think we'll see a, a few more... Um, Maybe less pretentious, or it would be even better if they were more pretentious. Yeah. Uh, but more important celebrities getting down and dirty with some of that stuff because they were the great moments, right? 
it's ne- it's never fun watching someone debase themselves, but watching them be made to eat disgusting things is always fun. It's the double dare in all of us. Exactly. Yeah. And look, I, I think celebrities will be a bit more willing to take part in it next year. So totally. Yeah. So now I'm looking forward to its return already. Shark Tank. Yeah. It's well. I mean, look, it's it's a trusted format, really. It, it's mm-hmm. a show that's been on all around the world and in various incarnations, and then um, allegedly Sarah Harris hosts it. I've never actually seen her. Yes. I hear I hear her voice occasionally in the background, but I, but no, it, it, it's a look. Yeah, I, I mean, we had so many promos over summer. That was probably the thing that killed me mm. to start with. The, the the esky with the cricket stumps attached. That just a, an amazing adventure. I don't know how they thought of it. Just a bit of plastic on top of an esky, and didn't 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 we see that ad ten billion times? Yeah, oh God, yes. But they needed to get that that pitch out of the way early too, to, and so to drop it in the first episode, super smart. Here's the one we've been plugging about. Let's get on with life. Um, you're right. It's hosted by Sarah Harris of Studio 10. Uh, the most we see of her is a 30-second intro at the top of the show, a piece to camera basically giving us a, a heads up of these are the pictures that are coming tonight on Shark Tank, and then it rolls into the intro. And, yes, she narrates the the intros effectively uh, for each of the pitch uh, groups coming into the to, to pitch to the Sharks. But that's it. Yeah. Like, it, it, mine, it does remind me a little bit of that first season of MasterChef, which also had a host whose name we've all completely forgotten. Sarah Wilson. Yeah. I hate her because she hates sugar and I love sugar and <laughs> screw her. But yes. No, I agree. It, it's, it, it's, it's all ludicrous. about the judges and they've got a good lineup of judges and they're really growing totally. into the roles. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think there's at least another two or three seasons of, of Shark Tank in it for 10 should they choose to pursue it. Making a big deal out of saying it's a... Uh, you know, a, a a mechanism or a vehicle for Sarah Harris. I love Sarah, and and I think that she is an outstanding talent. Totally wasted at nine, and a smart move by Robin Adam Boland, uh, Rob McKnight, Adam Boland to pick her up for ten for Studio Ten. Um, she's doing a great job there. There is more to come from her at ten. There will have to be because yeah. this isn't it. You know, thirty seconds at the top of the show and a bit of a narration. Look from a pay packet and an involvement point of view that's not very heavy on her but from a, a network star perspective and 10 need network stars right now they need to find her other vehicles other opportunities uh even if they are dabbling back into journalism or, or whatever uh to give her some big stories to cover i think that yeah i don't want it to just vanish into that the doom and gloom of morning television not that studio 10 is is doomy or gloomy by any stretch but um I think she's got so much more to give. Yeah. Well, we've learned this week that Channel 10 has a new spelling bee show coming oh, up God. in the next few months of the year, so maybe she could also host that vehicle. I hope not for her sake. Yeah. Yes, I've, I've actually could. heard probably more likely to be Natasha Belling going into that one. But... Yeah, and Tash would do a great job and yeah. she'd be wonderful with the kids. My only fear when we introduce primetime programming with kids, um, and, and when you think about it, 10 have done it before with um, – are you smarter than a fifth grader, which Rove hosted, but of course had that revolving door of, um, you know, uh, smart kids that, that people had to, to play up against. Um, luckily, that almost fell reasonably before social media came, took full force mm. in Australia. Social media is brutal when it comes to television. You put kids on TV, we saw it with the voice kids. People were just 
cold. Yeah, yeah. Towards and- the kids, sometimes deserved. Um, but on the whole, kids are telling you need to be encouraging stuff. Sure, the kids aren't necessarily going to go and hunt for comments, but the problem is they're out there then. And little Johnny or little Mary, who were on, you know, spelling bee and misspelled, you know, uh, alphabet, um, then have the opportunity, maybe not next week or the uh, you know month later, but three or four years later, the internet has everything now. They can go and see all these horrible things that were said about them because they misspelled the word alphabet. But it's an interesting format for ten, and I actually have a sneaking feeling that this will do well. I know uh, with with various YouTube clips that you see of spelling bees from around the world, it it is actually something that really draws you in, that really makes you want to watch, and you actually are rooting for these kids. You want them to do well. I I hope it works for them. I don't want to see ten fail anymore. That's for sure. Uh, I think that ten have played and need to play a vital role in our free to air television landscape going forward. Plus, they've got the V8 supercars, people. If you want to see the fast cars go in circles, that's the only place you can see it on free-to-air now. Yeah, well, um, yeah, some of the races at least, anyway. That's right, a few. Yeah, um, and, and they've got, got a few Formula them. 1 races. A few. They've got a couple of them. Yeah, I think some. they've got some They, they might have sold races. most of them, but no, they've got some. <laughs> hey, hey, they have to pay someone back somehow. That struck me as one of the more bizarre deals in the sporting landscape, that Channel 10 had the rights, they had the complete rights to this year's Formula 1 and just decided to sell half of it. Man, yeah. I, I guess in part it's because it's that that late night showing, right? What is it? 80% of the races happen at time zones that are really inconvenient for Australian audiences. So it's great for them to have it and it gives them the ability to plug content into RPM, which is... Uh, back on 10 and I think doing you know Greg Rust and co are doing a great job with that um, but yeah like it's tough when you know the qualifying starts at 1 a.m yeah you've got to be committed to get up and do that and I know a lot of people are and those sorts of things but it's not it doesn't have the prime time hit of the cricket right mm. and let's be honest at the moment if if Fox Sports tells Channel 10 that they want to buy something I think Channel 10 pretty much just says yes Oh, how long before Foxtel just jumps up and buys 10 and we can start seeing Fox 10 news of a night time? I mean, really? Yeah. Well, it can, it can that, only be moments. That that will be the big news story of the year. At, at some point, Foxtel will buy Channel 10. And look, I, I was just talking to a few people around Channel 10 in Melbourne the other day and they, are, they just can't wait for it to happen, to be honest. <laughs> Money for a start. Budgets returning. Yeah. Having more than one cameraman a shift. And, and the big news. thing is the AFL rights because that's the second part yeah. of the deal. Foxtel buys Channel 10 and then they go in for the AFL rights and everyone at Channel 10 in Melbourne is hoping that they will get AFL and that mm. this will be their ticket to coming back. Yeah, it would kill Channel 7. Not metaphorically. It would be legitimately an issue where they were just, it would be, the, we saw what they were like when Nine got the rights. Uh, so much so that Seven hated it so much that they partnered with Ten uh, in a consortium to buy them back when the when the uh, the deal came up again. So uh, it would be yeah, it would be an amazing outcome. Yeah, for 10, yeah no no, it's, a, it's a real watch this space sort of thing because certainly all the free to air networks they're angling for a ten year deal. Normally it's a five year deal, but they mm. they want ten years. They're talking about two billion dollars. I think we'll see a a market where it'll be at least two free-to-air networks plus Foxtel go for the rights 
And it, it's just a massive story waiting to happen this year. And I, I can't wait to see how it's going to play out. It might not go this agreement cycle, but will the AFL do what the NFL, uh, et cetera, in the US have done and go a la carte, where instead of selling the entire thing to Network A or consortiums of Network A's, B's and C's, say, who wants to buy the Friday night games? Who wants to buy the Sunday games? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Will we end up like that? And of course, you can already do it now. Buy your AFL pass and watch it online. Uh, but that become the primary way, primary way to see all the games versus I flip onto seven to watch this and 10 to watch that. Certainly in this last season, we've seen um, the AFL developing the Thursday night time slot as a, as a separate thing. And it, it, it's quite likely that in this next rights deal, they will try and sell that off separately. It'll be about nine games a season. It's quite likely a lot of those games will occur in South Australia. And I have had a, a little bit of discussions with people around Channel 9 and they, they're sort of looking at that, that might be, you know, Channel 9 doesn't, they, they've got the NRL, they don't really want to put AFL onto a Friday night. They know they haven't got the budget for that, but they're looking at this Thursday time slot as something that they could probably afford and it would just help to, to boost the, their network in the southern states. Well, there, there was a lot of discussion and it kind of, well, it, there was a lot of discussion that went really quiet when the AFL started to set up their own media unit, which is reporting on the games and writing articles and all sorts of stuff. Uh, effectively delivering press conference reports uh, out of its own unit, mm. where previously that's been all you know, all of the media turn up and do it. Now all of a sudden, oh, you want it? Here's the video of the press conference. Here's the transcript. Um, cut it as you need to, and reference you know AFL media and all of the rest of it. Um, with that, you know, with it going that way, it's very clear that they are moving to a instead of um, you buy it, film it, and do everything. We'll film it. And you buy either the entire thing from us or you buy Friday nights, you buy Saturday afternoons, Saturday nights, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. It's a concept that leaves me cold personally. I hate the thought of the AFL doing their own coverage, but I, I know it's coming. That That's why the networks are going for this 10-year deal. They, mm, know they, want that, some they know that this is probably the last time that they'll they won't be competing directly against the internet for, for broadcast rights. And so that, they're trying to secure it for as long as they can. Yeah, it's such an interesting mess. And then, of course, we've got the Minister for Communications trying to hose down the the concern uh, because the free-to-air networks are jumping up and down about their licence fees, uh, that there's talk, very serious talk, amongst the uh, the Liberal National Party government that they're going to do away with the anti-siphoning list. Yeah. Which... Which would be, I think, a, a good result if the networks, the free-to-air networks, want to do away with licence fees. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. It's something I have mixed feelings about. I mean, certainly, it, it's great to see sport on free-to-air television, but I, I don't think we need an anti-siphoning list to guarantee that. I think now that, as we started this show talking about, drama's not working for TV networks, movies aren't working for TV networks. Sport is one of the main things they have. Sport's one of the main things they're going to try and hold on to. And so, I don't think we really need the anti-siphoning list the way we once did. We are in such a privileged position. Look at all of the other first world country television markets around the world. And I think we're probably, I'm going to stick my neck out, probably the only market that remains, which has government legislated, uh, you know, situations around what programming, certainly sport, has to appear on free-to-air television, let alone 
that we still have free-to-air television. Yeah, and of course the other factor in all of this is SBS and their little deal where they want to have more ads. What a load of bollocks from from Free TV, the uh, the not commissioning body, but the the lobby uh, that is run or owned by Seven, Nine, and Ten. They're crying perpetually about the fact that oh, allowing SBS to double their primetime ad showing is effectively giving them a, a fourth commercial license. No, it's not, you idiots. <laughs> oh my goodness, they get six percent if they're lucky of the television share during primetime every night. They're wanting to give us a broad range of content fitting with their charter, which is government legislated. They get a majority of their funding from the government, which isn't heaps to start with. And you're crying about letting them get a little bit more advertising money, saying it'll take away from how much we get now. Do a better job and it won't go anywhere, you idiots. Mm, Exactly. And, of course, the other little sideline story going along at the moment is SBS trying to get away from soccer trying to just get right away from that whole sport because they can no longer afford to broadcast it. Yeah, well, with the A-League becoming, uh, let's say, as popular, that's a nice way of saying it, as popular as it is, uh, you're right, it just starts to price out of their bracket and it's something that they absolutely could throw some more money at if they had it, which they don't, which is why they want to increase their primetime ad amount. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we're seeing, you know, while Big Bash cricket has been the big winner in the last years, doing figures of 800,000 viewers, A-League, it's really struggled on SBS. It's probably only doing about 100,000 viewers on an average week. Mm. And, yeah, it's it's not bringing in the viewers that SBS had hoped for. They're, they're not getting the revenue that they'd hoped for. And we've got the, the Football Federation wanting to, to double the amount for the next rights deal going from, you know, I think it was 40 million up to 80 million. Greedy uh, bastards. Uh, so SBS have just had enough and they, they know they can't afford it. They've got to get out of it. I was talking to someone at Fox Sports about it last week and they're keen for a commercial network to take on the sport and it's quite likely it'll be Channel 10 again. Yeah. Well, 10 are on the hunt, aren't they? They yeah. want to get some of that stuff that they can help bolster and grow. Um, you know, their, their slate, their schedule. Um, so to hit back on 10, we think Celebrity was a good idea. They've done all right with that. Shark Tank, not too bad. They've done a good good job with that. Gogglebox. Now, this is intriguing, uh, not least of which because it is a, a dead set 50-50 with, uh, with Foxtel in that the same episode airs on Lifestyle on Wednesday nights at uh, 8.30 Eastern Daylight Time. No, 8.30 Eastern Standard Time. It's 9.30, it's after Selling Houses Australia. But then the same episode airs the following night, Thursday nights, formerly at 9, now 8.30 on Channel 10. Um, are you liking it? Are you hating it, Kevin? I am liking it way more than I expected to. Coming into this day, I really didn't expect to care that much about Gogglebox. I wasn't expecting it to be a show that I'd, I'd watch a lot, but I've actually found myself quite, quite transfixed with it. I, I love the casting. I love the the way they can go between absolute fluff and, you know, on the episode mm. that's just, uh, it was, there was there was a fair bit of Kim Kardashian at the start, but then they can also go into the news stories of the week. And, mm. yeah, it, it, it's a great little show that's really surprised me. I agree. When I heard that they were commissioning this for Australia, I was actually in the States and got to see the American version. Um, that they It's called Gogglebox in the UK. Uh, it's the couch, the living, living room or something. It's called... 
something else in the US, but exactly the same program. Uh, and I was transfixed. And uh, I said to myself at the time, if it is anything as good as this, it's going to be amazing. And I love it. I think that the casting, they've nailed it. That was going to be so tough to get that right. And I think they've done a really good job of that. Angie and Evie, just about ready to have their own show. Mm. Um, Adam and Simon are fun. All of them are fun, right? I think that Mick and Di are the new National Living Treasures uh, and we need to have them stuffed when they pass uh, and put down in Acme. Um, it's it's just a lot of fun. And anyone that hates it, that's fine. You don't have to like it. Uh, but just hating it because it's oh, the craziness of people watching TV, watching TV. Yeah, that's the fun. Yeah, the, the the family with the two daughters. I'm sorry, I don't know their names, but yeah, uh, same. Uh, but that I think they're almost my favourite part of the show. The conversations, and admittedly, it's obviously very heavily edited. Mm. You know, they all watch the same program. Some poor bastard at Foxtel gets all the tapes and has to cut it up into an interesting show um, with a bunch of producers who've gone and logged everything. Um, but the conversation, yeah, that the mum and dad and the, their two girls have quite often is really telling because mum and dad would be reasonably speaking Kevin about our age and their girls are you know young teen mid-teen kind of age and so that generation gap is obvious uh but the the nature of the stuff they watch allows their kids to you know come on mum dad don't you watch this the Kardashians blah 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 but then there's also those moments where you know the, the girls are affected or or understanding or learning something about whether it's a documentary or news or, or just some drama or something. Um, Top Gun, their responses when they watched Top Gun, the girls had never seen it. It was so good. Yeah. There was oh, one uh, a couple of weeks ago where they were watching that Four Corners report into the Greyhounds. And, yes. and the girls, I thought they pretty well ran out of the room screaming. You, you felt so sorry for them just having to watch it. Uh, mm. uh, I actually, it made me wonder whether the, the parents had much inkling into what that episode was going to, contained before the producers put it in front of them and and got them to watch it because it was a horrific piece of television and it really affected those girls but at the same time it really told the story about about what that program was about oh it's super important too for them to see you're right i don't think that they necessarily briefed them too well but i think that was key if they had they may not have been sitting on the couch Mm. Uh, and it was important that we saw that reaction uh, that we saw the fact that the girls opted to leave and then at the end of it, the parents said, we'd better go see how they are and have a talk to them. Because um, it's so important, right? I think too many people these days just go, let the kids watch television. Let's not process any of it with them. News has become so graphic. Just the news that I think it's super important that we all talk, even just to each other, but you know, certainly if you've got kids, to process some of what you've just seen and, and understand you know, that, okay, well, that's happened. This is why it happened or this is what it's meant. Uh, we're lucky that in our country that doesn't happen and all of those sorts of things. Like it's it's pretty brutal. Gogglebox, however, delightful. Uh, and I have to remember, I always forget, I have to remember to get my drinking game in gear so that I can keep up with Wayne and Tom because, damn, those boys have an excellent choice of cocktails every time. They certainly do. And I notice as of this week, there's also plenty of little product placements for the Foxtel IQ3 attached to every television set in the show. Yeah, fancy that. Huh? Hey, Channel 10 must love it. Uh, look, it, I think it's good too that the, the, the way they're – the shows that they're integrating aren't just Foxtel and 10 shows. Now, sure, there's probably at least one Foxtel or 10 show every week, and I think that is producer's privilege, 
but they're not shying away from, hey, this week people watch My Kitchen Rules. Like, no shit, Sherlock. Yeah. That's all people are watching. But they're cutting across Nine and SBS and Seven and ABC, uh, Foxtel content everywhere, like just different stuff, not the same stuff all the time. I'm liking that breadth and depth that it's not, oh, here's just our stuff that this is all anyone watches. No, we acknowledge that people watch a whole bunch of different stuff. So let's subject our families to all of that stuff so that we get to see their responses to the kinds of things that we're all watching. Now, I don't watch the Kardashians, not for a second. Uh, but it was interesting to hear what they'd said about the Kardashians because I, on the whole, agree. Yeah. Why are these people famous? No one gives a shit. Yeah. And ratings-wise, it's a massive hit for Foxtel. They would be through the roof with the numbers yep. that they're getting. On Channel 10, it's a bit soft, but... It's good enough for them to stick with, and it's probably not costing them much to produce with the Foxtel tie-in. So, no, it, Agree. It's, been, it's been a win. And Thursday nights are tough, right, particularly as we start to lead into autumn and, and sport, whether it's footy shows or actual games, everything goes soft on Thursday nights, uh, almost like we start the weekend early. Uh, so that it's not been performing as well for 10, I think is just indicative of when it's on. Also, it was a 9 o'clock show. It's only, I think, this week. Uh, just past podcast time, that it's slotted into 8.30, which means that it's only really getting that opportunity to fall into the normal timing that we're all used to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So on the whole, I think 10 have had not a bad start to the year in this rebranded relaunch stuff. Um, the three shows, the big ones that they've dropped into primetime, Celebrity, Shark Tank and, and Gogglebox are doing good business for them, Kevin. So, so far, my, my encouragement to them is to pat them on the back and say, go hard, keep it up make sure you keep going. Um, now that they've basically hit the ratings break, it's all everybody's wheels are falling off. Nothing's going on. But I didn't mind the odd couple. I think that will do okay for them if they stick with it and don't sort of shy away from it and pretend that it's anything but a sitcom. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to see what time slot that will move into once MasterChef commences. Yeah, or, or in fact, even if it's still on by the time MasterChef kicks off. Yeah. Because at the moment, it's only a mid-season filler um, for... I'm going to say it's CBS in the States. I could be wrong. Whoever's got it in the US, it's, it's designed to be a, you know, sort of eight to 10 ep first season, really as a tester. And if it works, they'll renew it, which provides an opportunity here. And right now, 10 are burning it off at two eps uh, every Monday. There's only been four or five eps in the US so far. So as of uh, last night, podcast time, we're basically up to date with the US now. So who knows what's going to come from that. Now, Kevin, we've spoken about a lot of stuff. But the uh, glaringly giant elephant in our rooms, collectively pouring down the internet pipes, Presto, Stan, and Netflix. Subscription video is upon us. What do you reckon? Is it going to make any difference? And what are you liking? Oh, my goodness. Netflix has launched. We are saved. Everything's wonderful. (laughs) It's what we've been waiting for for years. There's no problems anymore. Netflix is here. Well, to be fair... Netflix or, or its ilk is something that I think we have been waiting for to give us the opportunity to be able to consume content uh, in a in a you know reasonably cheap paid format like they do in a whole bunch of other TV markets around the world is something we've been crying out for. People are doing it and legitimately paying for Netflix in the states and all of those sorts of things now, proving that if it's around, we want it. The thing that has surprised me is the breadth and depth of content on a couple of the services and just how compelling an argument they make because of that content. Yeah. Well, um, 
to me, the big surprise so far has actually been Stan. I've been mm. really impressed by what they've done so far. I I wasn't expecting a a nine Fairfax consortium to have the financial clout required to get enough content to make a worthwhile service. But so far, they've done it. I don't know how long they're going to be able to keep doing it. Um, yeah. the, the word on the street is that they're probably only getting around 50 cents a month out of each subscriber in, in profit by the mm. time they you know, pay, pay the bills. So I, I don't, I don't understand profit, the business right? model really but long-term, but I guess they're going to have, at some point, they will need a financial injection from and, and probably from overseas to keep the thing going and maybe have to form a partnership with other overseas SVOD pro- providers. But at, at the moment, what, what they're put, bringing to the table is pretty compelling. Oh, look, Better Call Saul, Transparent. Dig, they've got community new episodes dropping into it. it it's a really slick move. Uh, disappointing, and this is as much as anything the fact that it's really a new service. Disappointing that they've still got some technical bugs to work through. Um, for example, if you have a Mac, trying to watch anything in stand in Chrome just doesn't work. Mm. It goes belly up and says it's not going to happen. Yet, funnily enough, I can do it in Netflix. So uh, it's, that's something for them to work on. Same presto, I can watch it in Chrome, not a problem at all. So horses for courses, that will work itself out. Content yeah, really yeah, is key. Yeah, from, from a technical point of view, I understand that Stan launched in, um, in Silverlight and I understand that they're pretty well trying to dump that technology as quickly as they can. And in the next few months, there's going to be a complete change in their delivery platform because they, yeah. they, they recognise that they've made a mistake there going trusting Microsoft with Silverlight, I guess. But- I think as much as anything, they needed a system that worked. It looks very Netflixy, mm. uh, and they needed to, they've gone and bought something off the shelf and made it work. And the recognition that we actually do need to put in some effort to, to refine it and contain it and make it work for us is an expensive beast, right? The, the interesting thing on it is, is like you said, it's an expensive beast, no question. And, and reportedly Fairfax and nine entertainment co the parent, bodies that own Streamco that is Stan uh, threw a whole bunch of money at it. So that said, sounds like they really want to make a difference. Whereas to me, the Presto TV offering that's now slapped together with the movies thing and, oh, by the way, Seven have joined in and we're a joint company now. It all just feels a little bit, oh, shit, we need to do something. Let's do that. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's very half-hearted. Uh, the, the, a lot of the problem with Presto is just the ownership. Uh, you have the Presto movie service that Foxtel owns, and now mm. we have the Foxtel television service, which is, as you say, the, the joint partnership between Foxtel and Seven, which has only just been approved in the last two weeks. So I think Channel Seven was a bit reluctant to really commit to it until they had that approval. So, yeah. And really, what is Seven going to bring to that catch-up table? Well, I, they've got can, some US agreements, but not heaps. Well, how about a bit of their local content? How about, you know, at the moment, if you hit the reality part of Presto, you're basically seeing a bunch of junk that rated poorly on Seven the first time. I mean, how about bringing a few of their mm. shows that actually work to the table? Yeah, well, true. And it might have been their hesitance around the ownership that has, has held that off, that may yet come. Of course, we also have to take into account this is a reasonably new thing and they may have already signed away their second-run digital rights uh, and all of those sorts of things, which also leads us to Netflix. You know, the criticism that Netflix Australia's library isn't as comprehensive as, say, the US one, 
reasonable. I mean, Netflix in the States has been over, what, eight or nine years? Uh, and it's been going in Australia for about four days a week, podcast time. Um, there's going to be a bunch of agreements that they will aggressively be hunting down to try and even up the ledger from a, a library point of view that they just don't have access to right now. Yeah, yeah, oh, sure. That 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 library of content, it's it's small, but it it will build, and they will get there. But of course, I the, challenge the, the, anyone the, to watch all the content on Netflix Australia. Yeah, they're not going to get through it in a lifetime. But of course, the real attraction to Netflix is the new shows, the the things that they're making themselves, yeah. the originals, that the, the House of Cards, Bloodline, or the, the Marvel content that's about to premiere. That, Cannot wait for Daredevil. Yeah, that that's the the real attraction of that service, and and that's. That makes the the price of the the fourteen bucks a month uh, that's worth it alone for a lot of people. And ag- agreements are key. Mm. People are whacked a, a um, admittedly not very comprehensive, but an in- a good indication kind of comparison article up this week uh, on the website Presto v Stan v Netflix uh, about who they've got agreements with and what does that mean and what kind of content and that sort of stuff. These aren't comparisons of how they work, just what they've got. Uh, and Netflix. Uh, very, very intelligently have locked away Disney, uh, which means that we've got Star Wars coming out this year, people. When the the first run digital rights hit for that, guess what's going to pop up on Netflix? Episode uh, 7. We've got all of their movies uh, popping up from that, including Big Hero 6 is going to be only on Netflix. All of that kind of stuff. You know, it's a a massive deal in that regard. But it's the studio and, and production company deals that are going to start to pay dividends. Once these things have bedded in in about 12 or 18 months, we have to take into account, reasonably speaking, ignoring quick flicks, that's not a real thing. Um, we, they're only really three months old. Yeah. You know, Stan and Presto, three months, Netflix is a week. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of water to go under these bridges as far as how their libraries will grow and what we'll see added to them. Um, sure, I'm missing being able to binge on Parks and Recreation, as I did in the States when I was there for the past couple of weeks. But that will come. Absolutely. In the meantime, Marvel's Daredevil, Bloodline. We've got Wolf Creek, the TV series coming to stand. Um, we've got House of Cards, as you said, Orange is the New Black. Um, all sorts of stuff that Netflix have got lined up. Stan are talking about commissioning content. Foxtel are pumping things like Wentworth and their own original content into Presto, as well as leveraging their HBO stuff. Now, for mine, they'd be the most nervous they'd be the most nervous given that we've got uh, HBO now coming to us, or at least America does, uh, and how available that will be to us over here. Yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll be interesting with HBO now. It's, oh, it's what's a 15 buck a month subscription? You, you add your... Apple Aust- TV only for the first yeah, three months. Yeah, you add your Australia tax onto that. It's going to be... You know, sort of probably about eighteen dollars a month for Australia. I don't think too many Australians will jump onto that service the way they have in the past for Netflix. But yeah, it's going to be tough when you look at the big. What are the big things that come out of HBO? Veep, Foxtel are expressing it. Mm. Um, Girls, Foxtel have been expressing it. Game of Thrones global simulcast. It's going to be on at eleven a.m. on thirteenth of April for you to watch, and then, of course, an evening replay. But it, they're showing it as quickly. In fact, now, it's as fast as everywhere else. We'll see it the same time as America. Yeah. No, so, look, they're, they're doing a good job with their established series. Certainly, I mean, at the same time, Foxtel's kind of moving away from this express strategy. We're seeing programs like The Jinx, which had mm. so much hype around it 
in the last couple of weeks with the the big reveal and news stories and all of that. Foxdale will but eventually that's such show. That's an American <laughs> story, though. Mm-hmm. The catch is though that was such an American story and has little to no play here. I can understand why Foxtel wouldn't want to rush that because it's like some American rich person killed some. Fine. Big deal. My, my, my argument would be that Foxtel have the choice of doing both. They, sure. They can express it and then also provide it for catch-up in the months ahead, and that's what I'd like to see them doing a lot more of rather than just making the decision that we are going to hold on to this content until we can build up our own marketing campaign, which often actually doesn't work, and the hype that they think they're going to create, they actually don't. I think they'll have to roll the dice on it still. You're right. They're not necessarily hunting it out uh, and doing it for new series, but I think there will be series pop up where they go, we just have to do this. We just have to make this available as quickly as the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I guess the, the disappointment I have in Foxtel in recent times is that they have they have clearly moved away from the express strategy. They're not doing it as much as they were in the past. And... Uh, if you're paying, you know, if you want your showcase and that, you're still paying, you know, around your eighty to a hundred dollars a month for a service. Mm-hmm. You expect to be treated like a premium customer. You expect to be able to watch a show the moment you're hearing about it from the United States. You don't want to be thinking that you're paying a hundred bucks a month when your pirate living next door he's watching it and you're not. Hmm. Yeah. Truth. Kevin, we watch a lot of television. You and I. What is it that you're watching for fun right now? Not stuff you have to because you're water, blah, blah, blah. What are you watching because I just need to keep up with it? I really like. Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I've just finished the House of Cards season three. Mm-hmm. Um, like that. Thought it was probably a lot better than season two, actually. Um, Controversial. Yeah. Um, just, just, just starting Bloodline. Um, I've watched the first episode of Bloodline, the other Netflix series. Really like where mm-hmm. that's headed. Um, yep. oh, I'm trying to think what else I've watched that's really drawn me in. I've, uh, there's been a few duds lately. Um, yep. Probably Transgender was probably my f- the thing that really hooked me. Yeah, Transparent, I should say. Um, Sean McCullough's show, that's, mm-hmm. that's a must. Have to watch that. Um, very interested to see what happens with Charlie Pickering's show, whether he can carry on the mantle for the rest of the year for the ABC in yes, that in that, that comedy. 20 episodes. Yes. Yeah. And, and no more Macala for the rest of the year. So that's that's a bit of a hole. Well, not, no more mad as hell. We will still get the XPM out of him, mm. which I think has great potential. Really looking forward to seeing how that comes out. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm trying to think what other shows that have really drawn me in at the moment. There's probably not a lot, probably because there's just so much reality. Mox TV Talk, the podcast. Dear listeners, there is a ton of content out there, full stop. The fact that Kevin and I like stuff and you might not like it, that's cool. We'd love to hear about it. So hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, all those sorts of things and tell us about it. Leave comments uh, in the the post on Mox TV Talk um, uh, about what you think. What are you watching? Tell us what you're watching. We want to know. Um, But certainly, don't for a second think that our view is authoritative. We know. Uh, that you're going to have a different view to us. You may agree with us too. That's all nice as well. Kevin, if people want to uh, read you, hear about you, follow the things that you're doing, what's the best way they can do that? Well, the website is nelby.com. All the latest TV news every day we're publishing. Um, our big TV ratings wrap-up is at nelby.com slash ratings. You get all the numbers of everything you'd ever want to know on that page. And apart from that, the main thing is just the Twitter, at Kevin Perry. Excellent. 
Well, people, thank you for joining us this week on Mogs TV Talk, the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Mogs TV Talk and find me on Facebook and Instagram at thosethings.com slash Mogs TV Talk. New episodes are out Tuesdays, so make sure you subscribe via iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. And please do leave a sweet review. Tune in next week when you'll hear Kevin Perry say, Watch more TV. Good night.